Hi, I'm Kim Polishuk. And I'm Jen Giffen from Shooks and Giff, the podcast. A part of the Education Podcast Network, just like the show you're listening to right now. Shows on the network are individually owned and opinions expressed may not reflect others. Find other interesting education podcasts at edupodcastnetwork.com. Hey, welcome back. Steve here. And today I'm talking with Adam Geller. He's the founder and CEO of the company Edthena. And today we're talking about his book, Evidence of Practice, playbook for video-powered professional learning, co-written with Annie Lewis O'Donnell. That's right. It's got all kinds of good information about how you can use video observation and video coaching to help accelerate teacher growth. Great stuff today. Lots to learn. You're going to like this one. Thanks for listening. Don't forget to share and subscribe. Enjoy. You are listening to Teaching, Learning, Leading K-12, a podcast for educators, helping you help kids achieve their dreams. And now here's Steve with this week's show. Adam Geller is the founder and CEO of Edthena. He started his career in education as a science teacher in St. Louis, Missouri. Since 2011, Adam has overseen the evolution of Edthena from a paper-based prototype into a research-informed and patented platform used by schools, districts, teacher training programs, and professional development providers. Adam has written on education technology topics for various publications, including Education Week, Forbes, and EdSurge, and he has been an invited speaker about education technology and teacher training for conferences at home and abroad. Today we're going to talk, we're, we're going to focus our talk on Adam's book written with Annie Lewis O'Donnell. The book is called Evidence of Practice, Playbook for Video-Powered Professional Learning. Adam, thanks for joining me today and say hi to everyone. Hi, and, and thanks, thanks for having me. Well, glad to have you here, Adam, and uh, love the book. It's a very, uh, very useful tool, and I think uh, others will, will, will know the same. And so, but before we get into your book, Evidence of Practice, Playbook for Video-Powered Professional Learning, let's talk about you as a science teacher. What do you like most about working with kids? Yeah, well, I think that uh, especially being a science teacher, and I taught ninth grade science and eighth grade science, you know, your opportunity is really to arm them with the tools that they're going to need to be learners for the rest of their lives. Uh, so when I think about the actual uh, work of being a science teacher, it was helping translate uh, the cold, hard facts of science to the warm, thinking, feeling humans uh, that were in my classroom. Um, so it was inspiring every day and, and certainly challenging every day, uh, but re really rewarding um, because uh, I know that uh, I was fortunate to have some students, you know, tell me like before they had come to my class, science was this thing they had to do where they opened up to page 86 and answer a few questions. And uh, actually the, the student who, who had told me that, um, I know that she's entering into a uh, physician's assistant program uh, this, wow. this year. So uh, pretty exciting to see how her, her, she's, her journey has changed as a result of that experience. That's cool. That's, uh, you know, it's, it's always neat to see what, the, where their paths lead them. And it is interesting when the ones point out some sense of <laughs> reality that you're like, Oh, that's not the lesson we want you to learn. It, you know, science should be, you know, one of the things I always loved about science is a lot of times you could count on that class for getting dirty or, you know, messing with some stuff that might make you go yuck or, <laughs> you know, just any number of things. And you hope. You yeah. Well, I think it, it, it prepares you to ask questions of the world around you and, and answer those questions. Right. So rather than just 
you know, looking out and saying, oh, I, I see something, I must believe it. It's, it's really learning to question the world and, and learn about it. I love that. Yes, so much so. You know, something that you talk about in the preface of your book, Evidence of Practice, is that even though you wanted to be a great science teacher, no one could give you real feedback or support. Could you talk a little bit about this? And let's get into you noting that you needed someone to see you teach. Yeah, so in my first year teaching, uh, when I was at a ninth grade center, uh, you know, my principal, who was very proactive and in my classroom and, and trying to support me, uh, she was very honest. She said that, you know, she didn't have a ton of experience supporting high school science teachers previously and where she could help me maybe with some classroom management style issues. She couldn't really uh, dig into the complex issues of how to teach high school science um, and ensure that I was on track. So, um, you know, uh, it wasn't for lack of trying, but that resource wasn't available to, available to me in my building. Um, and uh, I did end up getting connected to some folks at the uh, Science Center in St. Louis. Um, so very fortunate that there was an education outreach division and, you know, connected with them. And even though our school wasn't one of the ones that was I guess, under contract to get their services, they were still really willing uh, to meet with me. And it was through that process that I was able to collaborate and strengthen my lesson planning and bring better techniques into my teaching practice. Uh, but the missing link was really that, you know, I would go to the science center, I would get an idea of what to implement in my classroom, then I would go and implement it. Uh, but then I would go back to the science center and kind of tell them about what had happened, uh, right, which was just a little bit too far away from what really happened. Now I know I would say that was an anecdote of the practice rather than the evidence of the practice. Uh, but, you know, I couldn't actually at the time uh, get those folks to see me teach. Uh, and so they were relying on me to tell them what had happened. Um, and I think the reality is, is that as a teacher, uh, you may be an unreliable observer of yourself. <laughs> That's an awesome use of words right there, too. That's you know, very un unreliable because, yes, we might get part of it right, might get part of it wrong. And uh, some of it we see one way and, you know, and it may be seen, you know, who knows what, you know, we, we mean well, I guess, is my point. And uh, I think that's uh, kind of interesting. So, you know, and I think that's something, you know, I, I like this area in the preface because anyone who's ever taught kids, now you were in middle school, so mm -hmm. there's a nice there's, there's a nice age. They're, they're forgiving and allow you to do, you know, to, to make a mistake and do, um, do a do-over, right? Sometimes. <laughs> Sometimes, yes. <laughs> and, you know, and that's, that's one of the things I loved about high school sophomores is that sophomores would, <laughs> they'd like have fun. <laughs> as long as you showed that you were good with the, uh, it's, you made a mistake they, and uh, they'd let you go right with it and, <laughs> and they'd help you recover from it. But uh, yeah. Teaching kids, unless you've done it, you don't exactly know that feeling about going, There's, I could be better at this. And if somebody could give me some feedback, but what's one of the challenges with that feedback? You know, I mean, you, you kind of get into this just a little bit, but uh, you want to talk about that, why a teacher doesn't maybe necessarily reach out to others? Hmm. Well, you know, I think that, um, you know, kind of how I think about teachers and, and the type of people they are. I mean, no one goes into teaching thinking, I want to take this job because I heard it was so easy and I don't really care about kids. 
uh, right? Most people go into teaching because they are passionate about the idea of the opportunity to lift kids, students up, help them achieve and be their best selves. And part of that as well is the kind of um, awareness and acknowledgement that to be a great teacher, it requires being a self-reflective practitioner and being someone who's open and interested in constantly improving. Um, but then, you know, the reality of being in a classroom is that there are four walls and one door and oftentimes that door is closed and oftentimes things are very busy and hectic and you put extra effort into planning that lesson and then there was a fire drill and then you ask somebody to come see you, but then they were sick and you know, the realities of the day to day is that it's, it's hard uh, to collaborate. It's hard to see each other teach. It's hard to um, talk about what's actually happening in classrooms. Thankfully, uh, there is a big push uh, in, in it has a lot of different names, right, to kind of break down these silos. So uh, one that folks are probably familiar with is the idea of professional learning communities, where districts and schools are setting aside structured time for teams to meet and talk about what's happening in their classrooms. Um, but at the end of the day, uh, those teachers, while they may have that protected time to meet and collaborate, uh, they don't necessarily have protected or easy to schedule time to see what's happening in each other's classrooms. And, um, you know, it's, uh, we are social beings, we are social creatures, teaching is a social uh, experience, uh, and yet oftentimes the experience of being a teacher, um, I guess, in some ways is antisocial, right? You don't, uh, <laughs> you don't get to be with others, you're in your classroom alone. Um, so I really think, uh, and I'm very interested in the idea of how do you help teachers collaborate, um, because ultimately, teachers want to be great, they want to be better, uh, and they want to learn from each other. Uh, you know, compared to other industries, education is special because when somebody finds something that's good or is working, they share it around. There's no competitive advantage when your classroom is doing better. It's always about if we can find something that helps our students do better, we want to share it, uh, you know, as widely and broadly as we can. Yeah, that's a cool thing about teaching. Sure is. It's that's right on the money because it's it, it's a that neat sort of community that happens as they try and help each other work with kids that they're uh, responsible for. So good stuff. Yeah, you know, let's let's start getting into evidence of practice. Your book it, it it's called Playbook for Video Powered Professional Learning. Why'd you call your book a playbook? Yeah. Um, <laughs> well, I think that the word playbook uh, it's similar to cookbook. Uh, you know, so, but this wasn't a cookbook. There's not, they're not recipes. Right. Um, and playbook, you know, it kind of has the same idea where like maybe there's some steps in there to help you imagine how to execute, um, but it's going to be actionable. Um, hopefully that's what you think when you hear the word playbook. Uh, and that's really what we tried to do when we were writing. So certainly we have uh, based what we have in the book on the research and it, we have references to jump out if you, if you want to go deeper on certain topics. But the real purpose of evidence or practice is to give the practitioner, whether that's the school leader or the facilitator professional learning or a team leader or an individual teacher, to give that practitioner the tactical tools they need to do something, right? To do it tomorrow. Because I think a lot of folks, uh, when you talk to them about the power of video reflection and the power of video to uh, really accelerate educator learning, 
the reaction is like, yeah, I get it, but what do I do? Or, or what, what does it look like? And so really this book is meant to answer that question. And it does. And this is what's really cool. I mean, it's, you know, they're, my, as my kids like to remind me, I've been around, I think I have to remind them that, you know, there was dirt and there were other things around at the time. And when I was teaching, we did have uh, video cameras and people started talking about using them. And it, it's really cool because one of the things that was, it was, they were kind of fascinating tools and some people used them a little better than others. And uh, a lot of times people got a little uh, annoyed at the possibility of using them and so forth. And, you, and you've come up with great ways of, uh, of using this. And so one of the aspects of your book that is awesome is that in the first chapter, you point out that using video evidence of instruction requires a plan. I love this. Uh, that it requires being strategic and purpose-driven so that you're not distracted by the many interesting and novel ways you might leverage video. Could you talk about this just a little bit? Sure. So I think um, like any type of professional learning, it needs to have a focus. Um, or for that matter, think about some pedagogical strategy you want to implement in a classroom that you just saw at some great PD. Uh, you don't go and do it in your classroom just because it's a good idea or because the kids might like it. You do it because it drives learning and has a purpose. So I, I think that's the same thing that we're kind of getting at here, which is um, having video evidence of teaching makes a lot of sense. And you might be really excited to um, capture something exciting in your classroom, but the something exciting may not be the thing that you need to be working on. Um, you know, it may be that you're, and, and sometimes it's great to capture where you're excelling in the classroom. Don't get me wrong, right? Because the power of video is that you can capture those uh, examples and exemplars and share them more broadly and syndicate that excellence across your school or your district. Uh, but when you're thinking about the ways that you want to learn as a professional, I think being purposeful about what you're trying to capture in the classroom is, is really important. Uh, so if what you need to be working on right now as uh, an educator and as a professional is student talk and independent work, then you probably need to be planning to capture that rather than capturing uh, you, the teacher, up at the front of the room doing the intro to the new material. You know, it's, it's so, you know, one of the things that uh, I think is important here is just the idea that in today's world, unlike in mine, the video cameras were giant, <laughs> mm. the, a little, you know, <laughs> in your face sort of thing. Whereas today, um, we have a lot uh, better control over, uh, I mean, we have this digital world in which we can then share instead of having to, okay, who wants the tape next? <laughs> you know? Yep. Um, you know, that was, that made it difficult and cumbersome. You know, I, I think it's um, timing is right, I guess. Whereas, yeah, go the, ahead. The, I was gonna say the technology, the moment that we're at, right, is very important because I think the idea of video, as you're saying, has been around. The idea of videoing teachers in the classroom. Uh, there's more than three decades of research on this. Um, you know, it's something that is proven and known, and there's really not much discussion about whether it could help teachers get better at teaching. Uh, the big difference is that, you know, everyone for the most part is walking around with a high definition camera in their pocket yes. all day long. Uh, so it no longer requires uh, checking out 
that big bulky camera from the library and reserving it, you know, from a week in advance with some sort of anticipation, you can be thinking, you know, let's say in the middle school or the high school realm, you know, you, you oftentimes teach the same lesson multiple times per day. And, you know, when that lesson doesn't go well first and second period, the difference is that today in third period, you can get out your phone, you can get out your iPad, you can get out your laptop or your Chromebook and you can push record. And then you actually have the, the video evidence of what happened, right? You have the video record so that then you can really dig into it, whether that's for personal self-reflection or for sharing with others. It, like you said, it's just so easy. We live in a world with cameras all around us. Uh, and really, it's about making good use of that technology that has now become commonplace and, uh, you know, easy to access. And I love what you just said. Uh, having been a high school history teacher, you know, it was interesting that uh, there were a couple of years, fortunately, not every year that I taught was it like this, but there were a couple of years where I taught world history all day long. And one of the nice things about being able to have this would have been, I could have gone back, just like you said, I could have pulled out a tablet and, and whipped back into some of that and said, did I really say what I think I said? <laughs> or how could I have handled that better? And I, there's so many different things that could have happened there. And I, I love that, you know, um, just being able to learn the moment. So Adam, one of the things that you get into is you talk about uh, this, this, this thing called the five focusing techniques. Can you explain um, what they are and why they're important? Yeah. So, the five focusing techniques are a synthesis of other research. And what we did is brought that together and created a set of shared vocabulary that could be used to talk about how you're going to interact with video evidence. So first, I think we need to talk about why we would need that. Um, it turns out that, uh, you know, in the same way that, uh, you know, having been a teacher doesn't fully ready or prepare you to be a school leader, right? There are other skills that you need to develop and work on. In the same way, having observed a teacher in person is not the same as observing teaching on video. You need a different set of skills and ways of interacting with that, that video. And so we developed the five focusing techniques to be that shared vocabulary, similar to how uh, educators talk about the, the five-step lesson plan. Uh, because educators know what guided practice is uh, when you say, let's talk about the guided practice part of your lesson plan, um, because that's shared nomenclature. So the five focusing techniques are spot, breakdown, interpret, compare and discuss. And these actually scaffold from, uh, let's call them simple to complex in their ways that you're interacting with the video. Um, so spot is the, uh, for example, the process of going into the video and working to notice a particular moment as important. Um, so that's a, that's a very particular skill and working to spot things in a video could be the way you're you're actually spending your time with that video. Um, and it builds all the way up to discuss. And some folks are, are surprised to see discuss as a separate technique. But I think what that really highlights is that the power of video is that you can do self-learning, right? You could be working alone to spot in that video. And then you could discuss that work with others. Um, so uh, essentially, again, th this is a synthesis of other research that's out there. And we've tried to come up with the the shared terminology that can be used so that as you're building professional learning activities that use video, uh, you can provide that direction of how you want teachers to be interacting with the video. Excellent. And, and, and I love it because it, 
You're, you're right. It, you need to have this shared vocabulary that you use to, to talk the same talk with each other. Um, this is what we're doing. This is how we're going to do it. And this is what we're looking for to expand and have these, this type of interaction. And I, and I, I think these five uh, focusing techniques are right on, you know, just, um, it, it works. So, it, and then you see why it's necessary. So good stuff. The, uh, now your book is divided. I mean, you have this, the beginning where you explain this, but then the real meat of this is you have 12 strategies. And one of my favorites is the first strategy called classroom tour. Could you share a little bit about this strategy? And then uh, maybe let's talk about uh, one of your favorites as I get into one of my other favorites in a minute. Sure. Um, so I think first let's call out one of the strategies that's in the book that I don't think we need to talk about today, but everyone's thinking about, which is when they think video, they think in their minds, video coaching, right? They think uh, substitute for that in-person observation and do it in a virtual hybrid uh, way of collaborating, um, potentially some structure, some process. There's a ton out there about coaching models and using video as part of coaching. And that's a very rich topic area and, and we have a, a pretty big chapter on it. And I think as you're doing here, uh, we call out that there are a lot of other ways to interact with video beyond a coaching relationship or coaching conversation. Uh, so classroom tour is the first strategy in the book. And actually it is my go-to thing that I recommend to folks when they say, okay, uh, what should I do first? And so the reason why classroom tour is so powerful, it's, it's, it's just what it sounds like. Uh, you know, a teacher is going to take the camera and walk around the physical space of the classroom, pointing the camera away from himself or herself and uh, narrating how and why the physical space is arranged uh, for, for, for learning purposes. Uh, the reason why classroom tour is so valuable is that it is a great on-ramp to doing video reflection uh, for educators. It, it it lets them practice the technology. It's logistically simple. They don't have to coordinate or plan or anything like that. Uh, and uh, they don't have to be on video, right? Everybody's thinking, <laughs> I don't want to be on video. So it lets them practice video without being on video at first. Uh, and really important, you know, compared to some other ways that you could quote unquote, warm people up to the process is that this learning uh, strategy actually drives value for the educator who's doing it as well as the colleague who is observing, right? Because now you have a window into the physical space uh, that you may not otherwise have, especially if your coaching uh, or your collaboration relationship is across a distance. Uh, one example that was brought up to me recently um, that I hadn't thought about before um, in a presentation I was doing, some of the educators pointed out that for teachers that uh, travel from classroom to classroom, uh, they may always get observed in classroom number one. And being able to document what classroom spaces two, three, and four look like could be very valuable when they're collaborating with someone and talking about the challenges they may be having. Um, because the challenges may not be related to the lesson or, the, or the, the relationships with the students, there may be a physical space thing that needs to be discussed. Um, and so, you know, it's a powerful learning event beyond a, a low risk way to, to get ready to use video as part of your professional learning. 
I love it. I, I, and you know, it's funny. I, you're talking to someone who for five years, beginning of my career, I did not have a classroom and I floated <laughs> and, uh, that would have been very helpful because I was in a lot of different rooms, uh, <laughs> some that were helpful and some not so much, you know, <laughs> but, uh, in their layout. But one of the things that I, I also find interesting about a classroom tour is that I help teachers with classroom management. One of the things I do in, in what I do. And, one of the first things I do when I go in to observe is I look around the classroom and I do almost exactly what you're describing in classroom tours so that I can have a discussion with the teacher about what might be hindering, helping, or things that could be helping that they're not utilizing. And uh, I thought that was cool about uh, classroom tours. Like, oh, that's cool. I, I'm glad to know there's someone else. who. <laughs> it's kind of like the, I'm, I'm strategy number one. Nice. <laughs> so, <laughs> You know, one of my other favorites is skill building sequence, which is strategy number six. Tell the listeners about this strategy and what its purpose is. Yeah, so skill building sequence is a way to use the video technology to amplify and scale um, practices across your school or your district. So um, this could be personalized on a teacher by teacher basis, but let's, you know, imagine it. Uh, a little bit more systematically. And let's say uh, you are someone in the math department and you're implementing a new math curriculum that requires a different style of teaching uh, number theory to early elementary students. And this could be challenging for educators to adopt into their classroom. Might be something they're working on and talking about that they want to do, but it's it's hard work, right? Um, and so what now, uh, with skill building sequence, the idea would be that you have your, maybe it's your teacher leader or your master teacher or one of your math coaches, you have them model a particular technique or a particular lesson. Uh, and then you could share that video example to other teachers. So now, you know, your teachers around the district could watch that example video, see the vision for where you want people to get to, um, rather than you needing to go to every single classroom and demonstrate this. And then they can work to implement that particular uh, strategy or pedagogical move inside of their classroom, uh, of course, implemented within and connected to the content. Um, but the nice thing is that it doesn't stop there, right? Because they implement this skill in their classroom and the real learning is that they can document that with video and then share that back to a colleague. Uh, so it's really a, you know, kind of a continuous cycle of improvement between let me analyze the example, let me work to implement it, let me do the implementation and understand if I have done it uh, and what I would change next time. Um, and, you know, I think, by the way, uh, this getting feedback about the actual implementation is the type of professional learning that research says is the way that you help sustain changes in the classroom. So when you're thinking about helping teachers adopt uh, new practices, um, it's not just about you know, sharing that good idea or modeling it for them. It's actually helping them understand how are they doing with the implementation um, so that they will sustain that change over time. Excellent. Thank you. So, so do you have a favorite? I've told you my, two of mine. Yeah, I do, actually. Uh, my favorite uh, is called pre-teach. And um, we uh, learned about this idea from researchers at the University of Michigan. So I want to make sure to give them uh, credit for this. Essentially, it's an adaptation of uh, the uh, style of teacher training that you know, we used to call micro-teaching. 
but really applied to teachers that are you know in in the classroom in front of students so the idea is that um, you know maybe there's a particular uh, lesson coming up that's important you have the teacher record the kind of 90 second core nugget of that lesson or that skill uh, so you know if it's dividing uh, and multiplying fractions maybe it's the particular problem that you're going to work through with the students that is representative of how you're going to teach that concept uh, so 90 seconds minute 20 uh, teacher could record that you know take the camera, point it at a sheet of paper, model how they're going to explain the lesson. Uh, then they share that video with the coach or the colleague. Um, so let's play this out. I, I give that video to you on a Monday. Now you're my, my coach uh, or my colleague down the hall. On Tuesday, you have a 90 second or a two minute video to watch. You can watch that. Actually uh, help me adjust the kind of core idea of my lesson and get me on track if I'm off track uh, before I actually teach the students later that week, maybe on Wednesday or Thursday, that kind of key and critical lesson. Uh, so the reason why I think this is so exciting is that it really uh, challenges the notion of what professional learning uh, can and should be. It doesn't have to be a postmortem. It can actually be a style and type of learning that impacts teacher practice before it ever happens with students. Um, and I find that to be just radical because uh, when you talk about ensuring that every moment is, is as high impact and valuable for students as possible, uh, this is the, one of those ways that you can actually help teachers do that in their own classrooms. Um, but pro providing that tactical, personalized feedback that adjusts instruction uh, before it ever happens. Um, and so I just, uh, I, I think that's just really powerful to think about how technology is enabling us to do that now for, for our teachers as well as the students that they serve. Most definitely, most definitely. I love it. This is, I mean, this, this, this is what I mean uh, for my listeners out there. I mean, it's, the, the strategies are very, you know, it's not some, you know, something up in, academia somewhere that was created and you have to figure out how to uh, define the words and, and pronounce them nonetheless <laughs> to understand what I'm talking about. It's a, it's a useful playbook like the, like the title says. You have the ability to go in there and take a look at these uh, strategies and uh, understand the vocabulary they're using, the, the words, and uh, uh, five focusing, you know, from the five focusing techniques and, and look at these strategies and you could start implementing them and they're not very scary. So it's very cool. Um, I, have to, I have to ask you, Adam, when, when you were looking at this, do you envision the book being read cover to cover or is it something like read the intro and then kind of take a look at the parts and then come back to a Yeah, section? that's a good question. Uh, I, I don't imagine you would read this cover to cover. Um, I think if you pick this book up and you think I, all of these things are great and I want to implement them all, uh, you know, uh, please shoot me an email. We should probably have a, a different conversation about uh, structuring professional learning and managing change within your organization. <laughs> nice. Uh, so I, I think most people don't think that way, thankfully. Um, I think it's really about finding the things that work for you. So the first three chapters of the book really lay out, uh, you know, kind of the conceptual case, uh, the research basis, uh, I kind of joke chapter two is really the chapter you go and reference when you're making your grant applications and things like that. Uh, chapter three is the five focusing techniques and then the rest of it are, are the strategies and each of the strategy chapters, um, it 
you know, has a little vignette, it has a quick definition, gives you the research basis, and then goes into the, the implementation uh, of the technique, the implementation, the, the planning, and the execution part. Um, so um, I think for some folks, they'll open it up and they'll see the chapter about video rounds, which is meant to be reminiscent of the, the phrase instructional rounds. And they might say, huh, like, let me go, let me go see that. We've been doing instructional rounds. What are video rounds? Um, and that will be really exciting and valuable to them. And they will overlook a, you know, a different chapter, which will be very exciting to a, a different organization that's been working on lesson study, uh, but has have been having trouble with the logistics of organizing it. And, you know, an insight into how you could orchestrate that in a virtual hybrid way using video recording and video evidence uh, could be very exciting and powerful for them. And that's so cool because it's neat to have a, a tool that, uh, you know, you read a little bit of it, go in there, delve into that and start understanding how you could put it to use or to make it part of the PD in your school. So I love that. That's uh, and it's, it's very, and I started to say family friendly. It's very, it's very friendly to the reader in that uh, th this is, uh, and, and I was joking about earlier, but I'm really not joking. It's, it, it's, you're not having to, uh, you know, go through uh, three PhDs to understand what you're talking about. And, uh, and which is nice because that means that it's very user friendly to the, the teacher, the principal, to whoever it is that's looking at this, who's creating the PD um, to utilize the, the, uh, uh, the video uh, um, lessons or, or the use of video to learn from it. You know, one of the things that I want to point out is that the appendices are amazing. All right. And, and if you discover them as you're looking at the book, maybe that's where you start is the first appendices because it kind of gives you a little quick you know, kind of like a cheat sheet there um, to implementing the strategies in the book. Could you talk about this section? Appendix uh, A is the one I'm talking about, but actually each of them, and Appendix A is called play-by-play -play summary, but each of them are um, pretty cool in their own way. Yeah, I think the thing that I, I, you know, came to mind as we were working on the book was it's got to be tactical and practical. And that comes out in a variety of different ways, but you know, when you look at the play-by-play -play summaries, they really are meant to be that one-page Cliff's Notes version of the strategy where, uh, like you're saying, even if you start there and you read the summary and you read the steps, you get enough information to kind of know where you might be headed to know whether or not you want to turn to, you know, strategy seven or strategy nine or strategy 12. Um, uh, and while I'm not, uh, uh, encouraging anyone to violate our copyright. Uh, I, you know, I was an educator and I could imagine how uh, folks want to um, get information into a format that's easy to share and communicate to others. And so you could translate the stuff from Appendix A maybe into a staff presentation or into your planning documents or, or something like that. Um, so uh, it's really meant to be useful and usable um, and not just, I'm not just saying those words because they're, you know, good from a marketing perspective. I, you know, I, I've been in a school, I know what it's like, like if, if you believe that video could be a powerful tool for your learning community, uh, you just need the, okay, what do I do? Part of the question answered. Uh, you don't need uh, this book to kind of preach the gospel of video is a powerful, you know, reflection tool. You know, we do a little of that, right? We lay the groundwork, but the bulk of this book, as you say, is really meant to be um, 
useful. Um, and so that's why we really try to make this Appendix A so that it could be that summary. Maybe you, maybe you read it two weeks ago and you just wanna refresh, you could turn to the, to the summary. Um, and one of the other appendices as an example is uh, some of the just kind of technical questions folks have, common questions they might have, um, you know, like what should I think about when I'm recording? How do I set up video? Just the common, common things that we've learned over time by working with educators across the country in a variety of different settings. Um, you know, I don't think any of it is, uh, you know, high, high production type stuff. I, I don't want anybody to be worried. They need to read this appendix in order to be able to shoot good classroom video. I think what it is, is it, it lays out some of the things that people are probably thinking that like, I think this is, uh, you know, feels like it could be, I use my good judgment or my common sense uh, and takes it from that kind of phase of maybe a little bit of fumbling uh, to find out the right way to do it, to kind of just, you know, almost like one-stop shopping, like read this chapter, you're gonna kind of put on your mental model for how to think about video and how to talk about video in a classroom. Um, and you're gonna have enough of the basics that you're gonna get ready to start going. Um, you know, we don't, we really encourage people not to, uh, we definitely need to plan, but you don't need to over plan kind of thing. Uh, because we live in a world like, like we were talking about where video is easy. So we just need to use the ease of it to drive the professional learning and, and be purposeful about how we're doing that. But not get caught up on, um, you know, the technology shouldn't get in the way of the learning, I guess is, is really the, the crux of it. Um, and one other thing that folks might be thinking about, uh, a common question I get, I haven't covered yet, um, how long of a video to record <laughs> is, a, is a very common question. So uh, my, uh, my, you know, very wise answer that I can provide people is 12 minutes. Um, and then of course the good follow-up is why 12 minutes? <laughs> of course. So the answer is, well, you know, 12 minutes is a good amount of time. <laughs> <laughs> nice, nice. Like, it, it, it's, it's, it's definitely less than like a full lesson and it's more than a two minute snippet. And, you know, if you think about observing a classroom in real life, you know what's happening uh, or in person, I should say, because video is real life, but you go in person, if you're an observer, you you have a good sense of what's happening in that classroom in just a few minutes. Um, so, you know, especially when the big thing is teachers need to be recording themselves, right? And you're asking them to identify, you know, a key set of, of minutes inside their lesson that they want to focus on. Um, 12 minutes means they may not yet know exactly which three to four minute segment is, is the crucial piece. Um, because let's be honest, nobody wants to watch a 90 minute video of you teaching. So <laughs> don't record that. Or if you do record right. it, go select a subset of it for somebody to focus on because uh, yeah, nobody's gonna watch 90 minutes of you teaching. Nobody wants to watch 90 minutes of me doing anything either. Uh, so 12 minutes, that's, you know, it's a good, uh, it's a good benchmark, but uh, not based on any like uh, actual, you know, official research or anything. That's just our recommendation. I like that because, you know, once you said 12 minutes, I knew, I knew where you're going next, which is the next question that's always asked is, well, why? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. <laughs> just like the kids, man, just like the kids. <laughs> so it's good stuff. The, uh, and I, and I like that thought right there. Yeah. That's for anyone who uh, was a teacher in uh, a while back ago and you made tapes of kids doing video because it's, you thought it was a great idea that you would videotape their presentations and then you would watch them later because this will be great. I'll be able to, and about the third one, you're going, why did I do this to myself? Mm -hmm. <laughs> so, <laughs> nice.
I like that. So the the 90 minute thing there, you know, it's um, Adam, I appreciate you talking to us today about uh, evidence of practice playbook, playbook for video powered professional learning. That's a lot of peas. You know that that's (laughs) so let me try that again. Appreciate you talking with me about evidence of practice playbook for video powered professional learning. There we go. Got it right that time. (laughs) And uh, you know, but, before we go, you know, one of the things I'd like you to do is, could you tell everyone about your company, Athena? Sure. So uh, Athena builds the tools and the tool sets for video power professional learning. Uh, so a lot of times, you know, folks will hear me talking about stuff from the book. And then a natural question is like, well, how do I, how do I actually move those videos around? Or how do I facilitate that collaborative analysis of video? Uh, And I say, okay, well, um, you know, let's go talk about, you know, let's go outside the room and we can talk about Adina, which uh, uh, really was this tool set that, um, you know, is the the underpinning and why I've been thinking about video and and learning about video. So essentially, Adina is a platform where teachers record themselves, upload the video and share it to somebody on the other end who provides them timestamp feedback. Uh, So it's the tool set for the play-by-play analysis, but with the rich uh, things that you need around that to really drive systematic learning. So whether it's on the teacher's end, making sure that they're in the driver's seat uh, and in control of those videos, or in the coach's perspective, having data to understand what changes are actually happening in teacher practice, or a school leader uh, or a district leader who's investing uh, time and energy into this and, and being able to aggregate aggregate uh, across a broad set of learners um, while still not actually seeing their videos, but understanding um, how many videos and, and how many comments and things like that. Uh, so th- that's really what Adina uh, works to do and, and make sure that it's, it is easy to securely share those videos um, because when you start putting on your, your administrator hat, um, you start asking a lot of questions about, okay, we're gonna have a lot of videos. Where are they going to be? How are we going to keep them safe? How are we going to, I don't want to do a lot of trainings on the technology. Uh, and so that's where Edina really comes in. That's awesome. Uh, good stuff. I appreciate you sharing. And, you know, b- before we go, if someone wanted to connect further with you, uh, where would you send them? Yeah, I would tell them to check out our website. It's www.edthena.com. That's E-D-T-H-E-N-A. Dot com. Excellent. And I'll have that in the show notes. So, uh, so uh, they can easily go there. And uh, in case they uh, don't remember that, it'll be there in my show notes. So good stuff. Well, Adam, I got two more questions for you. And they're questions I like to ask my guests. And it goes like this. If you had the chance to talk with an audience of 100 brand new teachers, what is something that you would want them to know or think about? Yeah, so I think... Uh, and this is something I learned from a new teacher talking about their work with the Athena platform, but I would really encourage them to, yes, acknowledge that that, that first year or years of teaching is very hard, uh, but build ways to understand how they are getting better as professionals. Um, because you need to not understand how much further you have to go. Um, you also need to understand how far you've come. Um, Because I think understanding that professional growth and that professional learning can be very empowering, uh, especially for a new teacher who, you know, feels like they've got a lot on their plate and, and a lot more still uh, to do and learn. Excellent. The, uh, The last question goes like this. Do you have a teacher in your past who made a difference in your life? If so, who was it? 
And what would you say if given the chance to say thank you? Mm, yeah, so uh, I, I'm fortunate to have had several uh, teachers and uh, I've also been fortunate to have the chance to, to let them know, nice. um, some in the book. Uh, so, um, you know, maybe a, I'm trying to think. Uh, so at different levels uh, in middle school, um, had an English teacher, Mrs. Fry, who uh, really, uh, you know, prepared me to have good, good grammar skills that took me all the way through college and passing the AP, the Associated Press style uh, and grammar test uh, successfully. So, you know, thank you to Mrs. Fry. Um, in high school, uh, had a really fantastic chemistry teacher, Mr. Fisher, uh, who, um, you know, was really committed to encouraging students to go beyond the basics and in kind of fostering our love for science and um, creating room for us to grow uh, beyond just the standard curriculum. Um, and then in college, uh, multiple uh, great teachers, uh, but one in particular, his uh, name was Peter Filene, who uh, wrote a great book called The Joy of Teaching, kind of like that cookbook, The Joy of Cooking. Um, and uh, Really uh, great story because I had him for American history since 1865, which could have been the worst course of college. And uh, I was very lucky to have this professor, Peter Filene, who showed me that what truly great teaching looks like uh, and um, in an inspiring way and, and to be able to tell you that my American history course in college that was like a general survey course was one of the best courses I took, uh, I think is a good summary of, of that experience, but um, learned a lot from him and, and then ultimately became a teacher and uh, incorporated some of those ideas into my own teaching. Excellent. Thank you so much. And, and Adam, I can't thank you enough for talking with us today. Your book, Evidence of Practice, Playbook for Video Powered Professional Learning is an awesome tool for understanding you know, how to use video in schools. At the end of your book, you say this, video can help teachers, coaches, teams, and principals be much more effective as they work to foster better teaching for better learning. I love it. Wishing the best in all you do. Thanks so much, and thanks for having me. Teaching Learning Leading K-12 is excited to be a member of Voice Ed Radio. Voice Ed Radio, your voice is right here. Teaching Learning Leading K-12 is a proud member of the Education Podcast Network. Podcasts for educators, podcast by educators. The opinions expressed on Teaching Learning Leading K-12 are those of the guests and hosts. Teaching Learning Leading K-12 is intended to share ideas, advice, and suggestions for classroom teachers and school administrators. Teaching Learning Leading K-12 is produced for educational purposes. Thanks for listening, and I hope you'll share it with your friends.